Um, I, I want to read this morning from John chapter 15, um, the opening verses, the opening eight verses. I think they'll come onto the screen for us here. And I just want us to begin to think about this passage of Scripture. And I want you to think about it from the perspective of, of God being at work and present in your life. And how we can take these words and apply them to ourselves and, and maybe think about them a little bit more, more deeply. So let's read John chapter 15. Reading from verse 1, you'll be familiar with the words. Um, I, I love John's gospel. I love this section of John's gospel because we're getting into so much red print here. We're actually reading the words of Christ uh, when we're reading these chunks and these chapters out of John. So whenever you get, you know, you've got John 13 there, Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Go and do likewise. Then you've got John 14, um, you know, starting this conversation around the Holy Spirit, which, which extends itself over several chapters until you like, get to chapter 17. Beautiful, beautiful chapters of the Bible um, are found there in John's Gospel. And here we've got some words in John 15. Uh, let's look at them. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. I think as with all the I am sayings of Jesus, of which, as we know, there are seven in the Gospel of John. We worked through them a couple of years back now, if I remember correctly. Um, all of these I am sayings have got a context. They've got a setting. So if you're a Jewish person listening to Jesus' teaching, you're not listening to his teaching in isolation. You're listening to his teaching and you're immediately associating it with something that as a Jewish person you already know. Does that make sense? It's not taken, it's not like just drawn out of thin air like me offering you a concept or an idea that you've never thought of, never heard of before and you think, wow, that's interesting, that's new, I never thought of that before. It's like me saying something to you and saying, you know, I went around to the chip shop the other night and I had fish and chips from there, and they were really fantastic. Really enjoyed them, but the fish was a little bit fatty, a bit oily. As immediately I'm saying that to you, you're thinking, oh yeah, I remember when I went to our chip shop, and I got the fish, and it was a little bit fatty and a little bit oily, because there's an immediate association there with what I'm saying, because we're part of the same culture, and we know what it is to go out and eat fish and chips. So there's that sort of association. It's like that with Jesus and his teaching and what he's talking about. So when Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener, 
They're not scratching out theirs and thinking, what on earth is he on about? He's the true vine. It doesn't make any sense. What on earth is he talking about here? As a Jewish thinking person, their minds are now already back in the Torah and the Old Testament scriptures. And they've gone to the book of Isaiah, and they're thinking to themselves, vine, vineyard. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember Isaiah talked about this vineyard. Isaiah spoke about this. Well, let's read it. Isaiah chapter 5. I will sing for the one I love, a song about his vineyard. My loved one has a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with choicest vines. He built up a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Now you dwellers in Jerusalem and people of Judah, judge between me and the vineyard. What more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did I yield only bad? Now I will tell you what I am going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge and it will be destroyed. I will break down its wall and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated, and briars and thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel and the people of Judah, and the vines he delighted in. And he looked for justice, but he saw bloodshed, for righteousness, but he heard cries of distress. So they're thinking this passage, Jesus is saying, I am the true vine. I am the true Israel. I am the true Messiah that was to come. Some scholars have argued that as you get to the end of chapter 14 of John's gospel, you'll read a little sentence there. It says, come now, let us leave. And so they leave there on their way to the Mount of Mount Olives. And as they leave there, they walk past the temple. And as they're walking past the temple, there is a vine in front of the temple that's been cast out of bronze. Some scholars would say it's just as Jesus is walking past the temple which represents the old covenant, the old law, that Jesus says, I am the true vine. Everything that is there, everything that goes before, is just a representation of that which is to come. That is passing away. The new thing is coming. Jesus is coming to establish the new Israel. So Jesus comes as the true vine, no substitute here. He's the real thing. He makes these comments on the journey as they pass and the bronze vine is situated at the temple outside. He is the true Israel. The God project is set deeply within Christ and within Christ alone. Everything else was a, for, a shadow, a foretaste of that which was to come. So I want us to think about this idea of, of God being a gardener and of us being rooted into the vine, the source, which is Christ. And then sort of think about, okay, as I begin a new year, as I think about being transformed by Jesus and his work within me, what is going off in my heart and my life at the moment? You see, pruning is no bad thing. 
For those of you who are gardeners, you know this only too well. I'm just a bit of an amateur novice when it comes to gardening, but even I know the importance and the value of getting the secretaires out. In fact, maybe it could be argued that the secretaires are the most important instrument in the hand of the gardener because it's with them that the gardener is going to prune, cut back, shape that which is growing. Secretaires are one of the most frequently used tools in the garden shed. Without them, we have chaos because the garden needs a gardener. What do we read here? I will break down its wall and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland. It will be neither pruned nor cultivated. And briars and thorns will grow there. That's the text that we're reading in the book of Isaiah that these people are thinking about when now they're hearing that he is the true vine and his father is the gardener and he cuts off in me every branch that bears no fruit. Ouch. Because that whole process of being pruned is not something that... I think we would relish or think about because the idea of something being cut out of our lives can be quite a painful thing. I've been thinking myself recently, what are the things that would lead to deeper fruitfulness in my own journey if they were removed from my life, if I cut them out? I wonder whether you need to think the same. Habits, lifestyles, thinking patterns. That's why I wanted to talk about being transformed over the coming weeks. What does it really mean to be a transformed person and how can that work out in our lives? We're not talking about any plant here, of course. We're talking about the vine in particular. And Jesus is really interested in vines because he's really interested in wine. Jesus seems to like wine. Seems to like good wine. When I was a kid growing up in church, my pastor said to me, or one of the pastors in our church said to me, that the wine, that the water that Jesus turned into wine at the wedding was non alcoholic. Really? So Jesus made schlur. <laughs> Jesus was about creating schlur. I mean, if you're going to make a miracle, and take 36 gallons of water and turn it into wine, what are you going to do? I mean, are you, are you going <laughs> to make non-alcoholic slur out of that? <laughs> or are you going to create a nice vintage? I mean, if you're going to do a miracle, you might as well do a good one, aren't you? And, and it said, you know, that they all went on and had a fantastic time because they said, this is an amazing wedding. Because usually when we go to a wedding... The, the, get, the, you know, the host brings out the best wine first and saves the worst wine till last. But here, they bought the worst wine out, and now they're bringing the best wine out last. They turned it completely all around. And so Jesus is talking about this vine. This is where the grapes come from, and there's lots of imagery tied in with all of this, which can be interesting for us to think about. But he says, the secret to our fruitfulness is related to our source. And I want to remind myself and you this morning 
how easy it is to drift from the source. Particularly in busyness, I think sometimes under pressure, sometimes when life's challenging, sometimes when life's good, it is easy to drift from the source. And we need to build things into our lives that enable us to stay connected to that source. Good practices over bad practices, good habits over poor habits, positive good thinking over uh, sloppy, lazy thinking. All of these things can help us stay connected to the source. The emphasis is on the word to remain in him, not to be separated from him. Your spiritual life is integrally related to your source. So who is the source of your spirituality? Spirituality per se is an interesting topic, I think, all around at the moment, and people are spiritually curious, and rightfully so. We are beyond spiritually curious. I am anyway. I am Christ-centric. My spirituality has a specificity, if I can get the word out to it, it isn't vague or general, it is specific because it is built around Christ. Now, I probably see Christ as much, much bigger and broader than what I would ever have seen before, and some of Richard Raw's works have helped point me in that direction, which I found really helpful. But they are Christ-centered, a Christ-centered spirituality. So I want to remain rooted deeply in him. He is my source. And I want to be always about the business in terms of discipleship, of removing from my lives those things that are going to take me from the source. I was pulling Lilia's blind up in the bedroom yesterday morning, and I was pulling it up. I was just thinking to myself, Jesus Christ, you are the source of my life. You are the source of my life. I don't always do it well. I'm not always where I should be, not always where I want to be. But Jesus Christ, I want you to know you are the source and the heart of my life. We need to remind ourselves that he is the source of our spirituality. He is the source of um, our lives. We all remain in something. What is remaining in us? What was our life sourced from yesterday? What will our life be sourced from today? When we think about the word remaining, I'm going to suggest another word which may be helpful to unpack the thinking. I'm going to suggest the word lingering. Where are you lingering with intent? Or even loitering with intent? <laughs> Where are your thoughts lingering? What are they lingering around? Who are you lingering with? Are those people helping or hindering you in your lingering? What are you lingering on? What are you lingering as you listen to? Because lingering, loitering, what are we remaining in? We want to be lingering in Jesus. We don't want to say that God is that source, but for a moment, stop and think, is God truly your source or is it something or someone else? Is it a friend or, or a family member or a ministry 
Who is the source of your revelation, your inspiration, your provision? Or is it simply yourself? I know that I can be self-centered and self-sourcing far more often than I want to be. I will be the master of my destiny, commander of my fate, or whatever the phrase is. Or has your source become your worry, your anxiety, or your fear? And have you developed an unholy relationship with those things in your life that in some perverted sort of way bring comfort to you because you find comfort in your worry, security in your fear? It's odd when we do that, but we can do that. And we become our own worst enemies. And we become a victim of our own circumstances and situations. Or, or are we trying to unpick those worries, those fears, those anxieties, so that we can get to what really does need to be the source of our lives, and that is the risen Lord Jesus? And so what are the things that you need to work on, that I need to work on this year as we seek to contribute to fruitfulness and flourishing in our lives? Uh, I like the word success. I think it works better than failure anyway. Um, but I think there is a problem with success in some respects. Um, it's not a word that you find often in the Bible is success. Because success suggests the elimination, the elimination of everything that is unsuccessful. And that's not necessarily the path that you need to walk. We don't need to be worried about our success. What we need to be concerned with is our fruitfulness. And you can be fruitful in unsuccessful situations if you understand that fruitfulness is a deeper attribute and characteristic in your life than what success is. And so, don't be concerned about the challenging times in your life as if they are something to be eradicated or escaped from. Of course, if you can, then do. It would be stupid to say otherwise. But if you find yourself in a season which is challenging, and difficult, and you've got sufficient wisdom to know that this is going to take a journey rather than just a moment to get out of, think of your own flourishing and fruitfulness in the context of that journey and not of the success that you feel you'll achieve when you've got out of it. Otherwise, you're going to set yourself up and I'm going to set myself up for a miserable life because many seasons of life are difficult and challenging. But does that mean, therefore, that you can't be fruitful in the midst of those difficult and challenging times? You see, because ultimately, if those difficult and challenging times are just honing you, pruning you, taking you back to the source, and that is making you a more whole, well-rounded person, with deeper levels of integrity, humility, and patience, you are not being unsuccessful. You've been deeply, deeply fruitful.
because you are on a journey to be like Christ. And that's what matters for us all. And that's what being transformed is all about. So don't worry so much about the circumstance or the situation. I know you will. I do too. But let's not try and worry about too much about the circumstance and the situation. I know you will. I do too. <laughs> let's not try to. Uh, putting that to one side for a moment, let's, let's find ourselves in the moment that we're in and say, in this situation, in this season, in this year, what are the things that I will learn that will lead to my fruitfulness and flourishing? Even if I notice at the end of it or during it, things are being pruned out of my life. Because it's going to take you on a journey to being a deeper follower of Christ. And that's the whole point of following after Jesus. The words of the parable are clear. Jesus is our source. The Father is our gardener. We are the branches. It's this basic analogy that teaches us what Jesus is really trying to say. And that he is the true vine. Far from leaving the old covenant as an insufficient and incomplete means of redemption, God has other plans in mind. What we see in the old is only a shadow of what was to come through the new. Everything up to this point has been simply a shadow and a type. That's what Jesus was saying. When Paul wrote his, his letter to the church at Colossae, he said these words. These, i.e. the old covenant stuff, are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. He is the true vine. And that genuine uh, reality comes and arrives in him. Well, there's much more that I could say here, looking at these notes, that I'm not going to say this morning because I'm keeping one eye on time. And I want us to finish with just a moment of worship today so that devotionally we can respond to what we're, we're thinking about, Paul, if that's okay. Yeah. Um, I do just want to go to one, one, one other image. I've got an image, guys, I think right at the end. Um, which I just want to put up. Um, because, well, let, let, let me read this to you. I, I want to be less exhausted by attempting to innovate and more present to what the Holy Spirit is already doing in and through us. The problem with vision casting, and Dietrich Bonhoeffer said that the problem with vision casting, in essence, this is what he was saying, is that we put something out there which is ultimately built around our own ego. We go and we try and fulfill that vision, and in doing it, we think, oh, wow, aren't we great? Isn't it amazing what God has been doing in us? And you can understand something of that. What I think when we're looking at scriptures like these in John chapter 15 is we're asking ourselves, God, what are you doing in my present? Come in. No? Okay. Not sure what that was. But what is God doing in our present? If, as we close with this worship song now, you come to the worship song with the thought of, where is God present in my life at the moment? Where is the Holy Spirit at work? 
Or where could I find him to be at work if I was sufficiently present long enough to stay there to discover him? So instead of thinking, well, the Holy Spirit will come when I've done this, 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 and this, or I need to go and do that, 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 and that, think about now, this moment. Where is God present in your life? And what is he saying to you? Is that a word of comfort? Is it a word of challenge? Is it a word of exhortation? Where is God in your present? And let's find him there. For our Father is the gardener, and he cuts off in us every branch that bears no fruit in order that the fruitful branches will be even more fruitful. God wants to bless you. He wants you to live in his blessing and in his fruitfulness. But sometimes we need to stay in the moment rather than always be thinking, oh, when tomorrow comes, when tomorrow comes, when tomorrow comes. But what if tomorrow doesn't come? For some of those poor people in Gaza tonight, tomorrow's not going to come. Today is their only day. Today is the only thing that we're guaranteed of. So where is God in our present? Be still and know that I am God. Let's worship together. Thanks, Paul.